Support for this podcast comes from Planned Parenthood. It's hard to imagine a world where we leave future generations with fewer rights and freedoms. Since the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills aimed at blocking people from getting the essential sexual and reproductive care they need, including abortion. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves access to care, and with supporters like you, they can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future to learn more and support their cause. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hey folks, Preet here. I've got some news from our team here at CAFE. Because there are often stories that I simply can't cover fully during my long-form interviews on Stay Tuned, and given the rapid pace of the news cycle, we've decided to try something new. It's called Stay Tuned in Brief, and it'll be exactly what it sounds like, a shorter version of Stay Tuned. Each week I'll speak with a guest for about 15 minutes or less, diving deep on a single issue. This week the news has centered on the FBI's search of Mar-a-Lago, a story that has continued to develop raising more questions about what it means for Donald Trump. Trump now claims that he issued a standing order to declassify sensitive materials taken from the White House. To help us think through that claim, I'm joined by Bradley Moss. He's a partner at the law office of Mark S. Zaid, and according to the legal publication Above the Law, he's the most active national security lawyer on Twitter, a credential that Brad has quoted in his actual Twitter bio. Bradley Moss, welcome to this new show. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Are you, in fact, the most active national security lawyer on Twitter? I don't know if I am. It's probably a title I shouldn't always broadcast because I don't <laughs> think it well sits too well with the boss. Um, but it's sort of the way I started, you know, trying to build a more public profile. And it's just the way it played out. Well, there you are. And and I find your, your tweets very informative. And I'm, ho- I'm hoping you're going to help to address this in a little in a little bit of depth, given your expertise. Have you ever heard of a standing declassification order? And what would that mean? Yeah, so no, I've never heard of anything like this. And as far as I can tell from the reporting that's come out since that claim was made by John Solomon through the Trump team, there doesn't appear to be any indication that there was, in fact, a a standing declassification order. But what a president could do, because ultimately any president, any sitting president is the ultimate classification authority. He or she can classify anything they want. They can declassify anything they want. There's no oversight. There's no one who could step in their way absent the invocation of the 25th Amendment. So if a president wanted to set up a standing order that any particular categories of documents, any documents they personally took to a particular room were automatically declassified, they could do that. But there would have to be a process to make sure it was properly implemented, which, you know, surprise, surprise, with the Trump administration, it's the follow-through and the administrative paperwork that never seemed to have gotten done properly. And so 
what we've heard so far about this claim that there was a standing declassification order, I wouldn't be shocked if we learned Donald Trump thought there was something along those lines, that he had verbally expressed a desire for something like that. I've seen no indication it was ever memorialized in writing anywhere, that it was ever implemented anywhere at any time, and that any of the agencies whose paperwork would have been sent to the White House or part of these briefings had any idea that any of this stuff would have been subject to declassification like that. So historically and traditionally, if a president who has that authority, as you say, every president does, wants to declassify something for some purpose, what's the process and what has to happen? So obviously, so if a president wants to declassify a document, they've got a document sitting in front of them that is um, a, you know, a photo of a nuclear reactor in Iran, and they want to show that to the world. The formal process of doing that is the president would tell his security staff, I want this document declassified right now. I want to bring it to the press briefing room, let's say. The sec- relevant security staff would have to come mark off the classification markings that are going to be on the document stamp it declassified and say by whom, when, and under what authority, and then the document is considered declassified. And this is something that majority of clearance holders, and I'm sure, Preet, you probably remember some of this yeah. when you first got a clearance, you get the standard you know, Security Awareness 101 training and how classification markings ha- uh, are handled. This is something that anyone who's ever held a clearance has been trained on. Um, But obviously, Donald Trump, having never held a normal security clearance, but only having had access as the president, never had any insight or awareness of and never thought he really needed to learn about. Can you explain that to people? It's confusing. People, I think, assume that in the same way you have had a security clearance, I've had one a number of times, that the president does too, but he in fact does not. Correct. So the president, the vice president, members of Congress, and members of the judiciary are constitutional officers under the Constitution. They are all authorized in one form or another to have access to classified information. You know, members of Congress sit on intelligence committees and foreign affairs committees, for example. They get access in that form. Certain judges, especially those who serve on the FISA court, have had access to classified information as part of litigation. Um, They are authorized to access, but they don't have to go through the normal vetting that the rest of us do. So for anyone who normally is getting a security clearance, you fill out, you know, the standard form 86, which is the 127 page questionnaire that we all dread. <laughs> yes. You know, that's that a doozy. Go, exactly. You go through the interview process with a security investigator. They talk to your friends, your colleagues, your former employers, your neighbors, your references. Um, depending on where, what agency you're going to be working at and depending on what level of security clearance you will have, you might have to sit for a polygraph, either a limited scope or counterintelligence polygraph, as it's known, or the full scope or lifestyle polygraph, which is the anything you've ever done in your life polygraph that people who work in a lot of the intelligence community agencies have to sit for. This is all that vetting you go through just to get adjudicated for access. And if you're granted it, then you go through you know what we like to call death by PowerPoint with all the different training modules and um, security briefings on how to handle classified information how to recognize insider threat issues, how to properly mark documents and store and transmit documents. Those are the things that everybody else who has a clearance has dealt with. Constitutional officers never deal with that. So if you're the president of the United States, during the pendency of your term, you are not formally granted a security clearance. And by the same token, am I right, that you can't get a security clearance taken away? 
Correct. As a constitutional officer, it is beyond the scope of security uh, authority to do anything. There is nothing that anyone can do to tell a, tell a sitting president of the United States, you can't have access to this information absent impeachment and conviction or absent invocation of the 25th Amendment. That is the president's authority, unquestioned, unfettered authority under Article 2 of the Constitution. Now, some former officials, including presidents and former CIA directors, either are granted or maintain some kind of security clearance after they leave office as a courtesy or for consultation purposes. Does Donald Trump have a security clearance at this moment? No. So with former presidents, what typically happens is that uh, the, the new whoever took their uh, took office after them usually extends the courtesy of briefings. The former presidents don't have access to classified databases. They don't have classified email accounts. They usually don't have what we call um, a SCIF, a, a sensitive compartmented information facility in their residences or anything like that, like they would have done when they were president. Um, but they are entitled to have briefers come in um, and provide them with updated information because some of them like to be kept aware of what's going on in the world, but it's a courtesy the current president has to afford them. When Joe Biden took office, he declined to extend that courtesy to Donald Trump, which is Joe Biden's right. Do you agree with that decision? I can't say I disagree with it in any way. Not that I think, not, <laughs> you not that I think, can't not say that I think, you yeah. disagree with it, Brad. <laughs> I know the double negatives. Uh, I mean, I certainly think I would have taken the same position as Joe Biden here. I mean, given not only the erratic nature of Donald Trump, I, I see no reason why Donald Trump would want this information anyways. Um, I would have serious concerns given his foreign financial connections about him having ongoing access. There's nothing we could do about it when he was president. That was the right of the voters and the Electoral College to put him in that place. But once he was out, there's no requirement or obligation on Joe Biden to allow him to maintain that access. So we've heard a lot during the course of the Trump presidency about norms versus laws versus statutes versus guidelines, et cetera. That process you described earlier, whereby a president can, on his authority, declassify something with the changing of the markings and uh, the creation of new markings and, and, and notations on the document or the photograph, is that a function of law or statute or regulation, or is that just a norm? That's a function of regulation. Um, all agencies have procedures outlined for how that is handled. Uh, the defa- the Defense Department uh, which has the largest number of clearance holders amongst the entire U.S. government, has entire manual set up on this. Um, and I'm blanking on the name of the particular manual at the top of my head, but that outlines the process. Um, but this is very much something set down in writing as to how this process is done. And so if there ever is a prosecution of Donald Trump under the Espionage Act with respect to these documents, there's going to be a legal debate, and there's no on-point case law. There's some informative stuff I can get into, but there's going to be a legal debate about how much, for purposes of a criminal prosecution, the president had to do to ensure his order, to the extent there was one, was actually being implemented, or if he could rely in good faith on the fact that I gave the order, therefore I assumed everything was declassified. Right. I mean, the first issue is, did he actually give the order? I have Correct. extreme doubt that that was true. It seems like an after-the-fact Justification. But you're saying it's not enough to show a document that was seized from the premises at Mar-a-Lago that continues to have classification markings that are not crossed out. You're saying that's not enough to show that the declassification didn't happen properly? No, it, I mean, it, that that's going to be the government's job is going to be partially and it's going to be a 
constitutional separation of powers issue here somewhat. Um, how far from purposes of intent Donald Trump had to go to ensure this was, had been properly executed? Because the only case law we have that comes close, there's one criminal case and then there's a bunch of freedom of information cases, most of which ironically came out in the Trump era, that give us some guidance on how this might play out. There's obviously from the criminal side, there's the Scooter Libby saga from the Bush uh, two era where Scooter Libby indicated to uh, Patrick Fitzgerald, who was the special counsel investigating, you know, the leaking of the identity of Valerie Plame, um, whether or not he had disclosed classified information without authorization to a reporter. The reason, as far as we understand from later reporting, that Mr. Fitzgerald did not bring such a charge against Scooter Libby was because there was um, information presented to him that uh, the president and the vice president had authorized the verbal dissemination of this information to a reporter, which was their right. But that was just information. We're talking about documents here, documents that still have markings on them. So the only guidance we can take that exists in case law are a bunch of FOIA cases, one of which I handled. There were at least three FOIA cases during the Trump era where different litigants, including myself, tried to flesh out what it meant when Tr Donald Trump would say, I, de I am declassifying something. So I was handling a case for Brad Heath, who was a reporter at the time at USA Today. We were seeking all the FISA warrants that you know, were allegedly had been sought against members of the Trump team. Over the course of the litigation, it got narrowed down to just the Carter Page issue. And we got that initial release of FISA warrant information that got declassified. And then there was ongoing litigation about the redactions that still existed on the documents. Donald Trump issued a press release through Sarah Huckabee Sanders saying, I am declassifying these specific pages from the Carter Page FISA warrants. I presented that to the judge. Judge asked DOJ to figure out what was going on. DOJ came back with a sworn declaration from a senior DOJ official saying, we've spoken to the White House. This was not meant to be a self-executing order. There is no declassification order. The government has not declassified any of this information. Well, that's judge, a pretty bad precedent for Trump then, isn't it? Ex exactly. And it only gets worse. So that was that was the first one. And so the government, I saw the government won that argument. Happened again with Jason Leopold, who was a reporter who was suing over the Mueller report. Donald Trump in October 2020 said, I am declassifying the, this, these parts of the Mueller report. Jason brought it to the judge. Mark Meadows himself had to submit a declaration to the court um, saying, I have spoken with the president. His tweet was not meant to be self-executing. There is no order. Nothing is declassified. And of course, Jason lost. And that brings the final one. It was a Second Circuit case that arose that was through the New York Times that arose out of Trump disclosing the existence of a CIA program in Syria. And the Second Circuit's opinion, siding with the government, said even the president has to follow a formal process for declassification. And so that's the those are the only guideposts we really have. And those were FOIA cases, those were not criminal little you know, prosecutions. We don't know how much the court would find them helpful or even on point here. But that's all we've got is that as far as the courts have been concerned, even if a president makes a verbal statement, there has to be a continuation of the process. He has to make sure it's actually done. Otherwise, they will not treat those verbal statements as self-executing declassification orders. Right. We don't have time here to go into the reasons why, What even if the documents were declassified appropriately, it doesn't necessarily matter legally with respect to the three statutes 
that were identified in the attachment to the search warrant uh, and the affidavit. But final question for you, because I think, you know, fair is fair. Is it appropriate to say that Donald Trump is being investigated for espionage because that's the name of the act under which one of the statutes falls? No. And I've been very public in, sit in asking reporters not to say he's being investigated for espionage or treason or spying, because at the moment, we have no indication of that. The Espionage Act is a World War I statute that predates the modern classification uh, regime. It is horribly titled at this point and should be renamed the Official Secrets Act, because the majority of the criminal provisions at play, including the ones that would likely come into play against Donald Trump in an indictment have nothing to do with espionage or spying. It has to do with the unauthorized transmission, handling, or storage of information relating to the national defense, which almost always overlaps with what we know nowadays as classified information. Bradley Moss, thanks for being our inaugural guest on Stay Tuned in Brief. Thanks for having me anytime. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Stay Tuned in Brief. As I said at the top, we'll be trying this out for the time being and we want to hear what you think. Will you be tuning in? Are there specific topics you'd especially like to hear discussed? Write to us with your thoughts at letters at cafe.com. Stay Tuned is presented by CAFE and the Vox Media Podcast Network. The executive producer is Tamara Sepper. The technical director is David Tattashore. The senior producers are Adam Waller and Matthew Billy. The CAFE team is David Kurlander, Sam Ozer-Staden, Noah Azulai, Nat Wiener, Jake Kaplan, Sean Walsh, Namata Shah, and Claudia Hernandez. Our music is by Andrew Dost. I'm your host, Preet Bharara. Stay tuned. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.